You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Hello, friends. I'm so glad you joined me today here on the podcast. Before we get into our conversation with our next guest, I just want to tell you about two really important things. First, uh, if you have not signed up for my newsletter, it's called One Little Word. I encourage you to do that. Uh, It comes out about every two weeks, and I have fresh content in there, usually kind of a take on something that's going on in the culture or maybe something I've learned from history or maybe uh, a nugget of wisdom or two about leadership. If that's uh, kind of your thing, I encourage you to join uh, the rest of us in our One Little Word community. I also share about upcoming projects that I'm working on and books I'm reading that are kind of in my book stack and some interesting things around the web that I've been paying attention to. So if if you'd like to do that, go to my website, danieldarling.com, sign up for One Little Word. Also, we're entering Christmas season, and for me, I don't think it's ever too early to celebrate Christmas, and especially this year in 2020. Uh, what a year we've been and how much we need Advent, how much we need to just sit, meditate, lament, and anticipate the coming of Jesus. I love Christmas. I don't know about you. It's my favorite time of year. Maybe this year is a harder one because there's people missing or you can't visit relatives because of COVID or of you lost loved ones. I hope you can find comfort and joy this Christmas season. And one of the ways that I hope that we can do that is with my book, The Characters of Christmas. Now, last year uh, it was released and I was really surprised at the response that people really across the country really resonated with it, churches even. And so if you would like something to do with your church or your small group or even yourself, I want to encourage you to uh, get The Characters of Christmas. This is a a book where I go through each of the, the kind of main people in this story, these really ordinary people like Mary and Joseph and and Zechariah and Elizabeth and Anna and Simeon and these shepherds and wise men from the East and how do they get caught up in the greatest story of all time. I profile each of them and how they kind of point us toward Jesus. So I, I hope that you would check out this book, The Characters of Christmas. You can go to thecharactersofchristmas.com or to my website, danieldarling.com. We have a lot of free downloads that correspond with this. If you want to do this with your church or church group, we have study guides and things that you can do if you want to do a church campaign. So please visit thecharactersofchristmas.com and get uh, links to the Christmas book that I really enjoyed writing. It's also available at your favorite retailers. I'm honored that you have downloaded this podcast to listen to while you're driving or exercising or doing chores or whatever it is that has you uh, strapping on the headphones and listening for a season I think you're going to pull up a chair and listen in on this next conversation with my guest, Brant Hansen. Uh, Brant is a syndicated radio host. He's an author, and uh, he's an advocate for healing children with correctable disabilities through the organization Cure International. I wanted to have Brant on to talk about a number of things, his journey into radio, uh, his lifelong obsession like mine with words and his experiences uh, with Asperger's syndrome and his, uh, how that interacts with his faith and what has made him an advocate for those who, 
who are on the autism spectrum. He has a couple of really important books. His latest one is called The Truth About Us, The Very Good News About How Very Bad We Are, uh, which doesn't sound like a a self-help title, but actually what he gets at is at the heart of the human condition, that humans are fallen, that we there's something with us that is not right, that is broken, and how Christ, through the gospel, can change us and is changing us and restoring us. Uh, it's a very fun and lively conversation. Brand has a great sense of humor. I think you'll enjoy our conversation with Brand Hansen. Well, I'm glad to have on the podcast uh, for the first time, I think, Brant Hansen. Uh, Brant, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, my pleasure. This is I can confirm that this is the first time on your podcast, so I'm excited about yeah, it. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I have followed you on Twitter forever, love your stuff, and for whatever reason, we never connected. We never, our paths never crossed the same conference or place or whatever, but anyways, here we are, and um, you have a new book out called Unoffendable, How just one change can make all of life better, which I love. Important, uh, particularly in this season. You also have a book, uh, Blessed Are the Misfits, which I love too. Uh, but before we get to all that, you're a radio host. And so just tell me your journey into words, right? Talking yeah. on the radio and writing. And is this something that you've always been passionate about? Is this a late in life turn? For the few people who don't know your story and don't know you, living under a rock. Yeah. Tell them uh, the Brant Hansen sure. story. You know, I, I'm i on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. and I found this is largely true of, a, well, I should say there's a there's an overrepresentative sample of people who are on the spectrum who are way into baseball statistics. And I know this sounds like a roundabout way to get into this, but I was obsessed with baseball statistics growing up. So that's all I thought about. Literally, my my mom was very concerned because I had one friend, basically, and that's all we talked about was coming up with different algorithms and sabermetrics and stuff. This is back in the 80s, but that's all I thought about. And so one thing I did listen to, I was not particularly social, but in the evenings, I would listen to baseball coming out of St. Louis, I'm from downstate Illinois. And I just wanted to be, I thought, well, here's something I could do. I could be a baseball announcer. So I played baseball for eight years growing up and I never got a base hit. I'd never hit the ball. It's because I can't see the ball and I I have bad vision too. But for some reason it didn't dawn on me literally to my last year of college. I had planned on being a play-by-play announcer. I'm like, it dawned on me how, if I was on the field and I can't see the ball, how am I going to see the ball from the play? Yeah. (laughs) So that was, that's why I originally went into, it was called broadcast journalism at Illinois. So, but then I realized I can't be a baseball announcer. What am I going to do? So I wound up being a newsman part-time and then on the radio. And then they kind of leave me on longer and longer after the news. And eventually just kind of a sidekick guy. And then without my even planning it, I wound up being on by myself, which I didn't want. And then the rest is recent history. Like, it's gone really well. And I never intended to be a DJ or radio host or be syndicated or any of that stuff. So that's how I actually went into radio and the writing of the books just been the past few years. I read a Seth Godin book about writing a mediocre book and at least sending it is better than not doing anything. Uh And uh, 
So that freed me up to finally just write a mediocre book. And then my first book was unoffendable. It turned out great. So I'm really thankful. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting your story about like you didn't intend to be a radio host, but, you know, like here you are. And I think, you know, it's funny how God directs our steps, right? Like if I looked 10 years ago and if I could have said I would be here, I would have like, there's no way I could, I could think about that. You know, like there's some things you always know you want to do and you kind of follow that. But it's really interesting how God directs our winding little steps. I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan like of just doing the next thing and then seeing what God does. I know there are some people that are just big visionaries and, and that's cool. And I'm not against that, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of amazed by ants and how none of the ants really know what the big plan is. And they wind up creating these architectural masterpieces with none of them having a blueprint, you know, yeah. but they're all just following the pheromones of the, of whatever's in front of them, whatever's, they're just responding to the thing right in front of their antenna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I agree. And I, I think you can give God credit when something happens awesome that you didn't plan because it clearly wasn't you. And you, you love radio. I, I, you know, it's funny. I grew up with radio because mm-hmm. My parents decided, you know, for whatever reason, not to have a TV in the house. You know, they just kind of want to protect us. You can quibble with that decision. Was it good, bad? I don't know. But the result of it was we basically had radio, books, and newspapers. And mm-hmm. uh, three newspapers came every day. And then I listened to the radio. So I listened, you know, I grew up in Chicago. So I'm listening to sports radio constantly. Yeah. Uh, yep. And I'm listening to WGN radio, all their hosts, you know, yep. Bob Collins and Spike O'Dell and yep. all those guys. Uh, occasionally I didn't do a ton of, uh, political talk radio for whatever reason. I never got into that, but I just loved radio. And there's, there is an intimate connection, I think on radio, right. Between that. I still think, even though podcasting is a big deal and it's really taking off, I, you know, there, there's nothing like the relationship between, you know, radio and the listener, particularly people that have yeah. commutes or truck drivers, or you know, like, I've, I've always found that fascinating. I do too. And you know what? Chicago radio really shaped me too, because I could get those stations downstate. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, so as a young adult, I actually had a eureka moment because one of Chicago personality, I think he's on GN now, but uh, Ro Khan. Yes, Ro Khan. He was on WLS mm-hmm. and Gary Meyer. And I actually had a eureka moment for my life in Christian radio, specifically because of Ro Khan. They were talking about being in the labor and delivery room when Roe's baby was being delivered. His wife was giving birth, and Roe was like, this is just in the moment. I mean, I think they're drinking whiskeys and stuff and talking. And he says, you know what? I watched that happen. I'm like, how can there not be a God? Like, I watched my wife giving birth. I'm just like, man, I don't know how to explain it. I don't understand it. I'm not particularly religious, but how can there not be a God? And they went on to talk about God for a little bit. I was like... That sounded so natural. Anybody can relate to it. No one's no one's calling, I doubt, going, you can't say God. But I was like, when I listen to Christian radio, sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure who these people are. But I thought, what if, what if Christian radio could have that level of just natural? I'm actually being me, and I'm talking about God observationally. And like, what would happen? And that actually helped me with my entire career, I think. It's largely because of listening to Chicago radio and particularly WLS with Jim Johnson, Gary Meyer, and, uh, and Roe Khan. I love so that you I, grew up in Illinois. I, we talked about that off, yeah. off the air, but uh, downstate Illinois, um, which I love. I love the state. Most people think of Illinois as Chicago and Chicago where I grew up, but 
driving through Illinois so much in my life. You know, I, I played yeah. basketball for my Christian high school. So we went all over the state playing. We, we had conventions at Western Illinois. We, you know, I, I interned at the state capitol. And most of Illinois is small towns, rural. I love it. So uh, I guess you're a big Illini fan, right? Because you're a U of I grad? Okay. Yeah, you know what? I'm a huge Illini fan, and there is very few things in life less rewarding than being an Illini fan, like the last several years. Yeah. But, yeah. We had I, a that few is runs. Exactly, we had a few runs. It's been a while now, yeah, yeah. so we're kind of looking for something new to happen. I was also the president, and you'll be, I think, really encouraged and impressed by this. I was president of the Illinois Student Librarians Association wow. for the entire state. Prestigious. Thank you. The entire state of Illinois. And actually, that organization had been around for 100 years and dissolved under my leadership. Mm. I'm pro-libraries, though. So, Thank you. Um, Me too. So you, again, I'm going to talk about your book, but uh, you are involved with a really important organization called Cure International. You you talk about uh, children with disabilities. Uh, Why has that been so important to you? Because I'm... I've been around the block uh, with Christian stuff and I'm very desirous of seeing actual Jesus. And I don't know how else to put it. And I I know that sounds cynical and jaded and it's probably because I'm cynical and jaded, but I really want to see Jesus at work and what cure does. It it seems like a natural, I just had never thought about it before, but there's, there's a hundred million kids around the world that have correctable disabilities, correctable. So if I'm a follower of Jesus, like, well, let's correct them. Let's heal them. And that's what cure does. So they have these permanent hospitals in these different, very difficult places where all they do is one after another in the operating rooms, perform these surgeries to allow kids to walk or be able to function, be able to go to school for the first time. And they're like, they might be 15, 16 years old. They've been dragging themselves around with a condition that if they were in America would have been taken care of when they were a week old. Why would we not heal them? And these hospitals are, the thing, the thing I love about it too, is that it's not just about the physical healing, but the hospitals are about actually telling them that they're not cursed. There is a God who loves them. There is this man named Jesus who understands who they are. And, and uh, I love the pairing of those two things. So it's not just a good deed. It's overtly about Jesus and it's, and it's healing like Jesus told us to do. And I had never seen anything like that in the world before. So I needed it and I've thrown myself headlong into it. So my entire platform is basically for that. Um, And I love being able to illustrate the kingdom of God by showing people what Jesus is doing around the world like Mm. that. You talk openly, you mentioned at the top, but that you are on the autism spectrum. So you talk about your Asperger's and how, how do you feel like that has shaped your public life and your public ministry and witness and the way you do radio and write and do the advocacy for cure? How do you feel that has shaped it? That's an awesome question. I, I think um, it shaped it completely. For one thing, we tend to be, people who are on the spectrum tend to be pretty blunt and we don't even realize we're doing it. Mm. And so people have said to me over the years, like, I can't believe you said that. Or, wow, that was really like vulnerable. something. And I was not aware, like, I don't feel like I'm taking any big risk or being vulnerable or anything. But the, the neat thing about that is, I guess it makes for decent radio. 
if you're being super honest. But it's not, again, it's not me patting myself on the back. I don't know what, how else to function, but at least God put me in a place where it's actually a credit. It can be a problem in meetings and stuff. Like I can threaten bosses or hierarchies without knowing it because I'll ask the question that apparently you're not supposed to ask or something around a conference table. And I'm seriously not trying to do it, but it works out good on the air. Um, so <laughs> I'm thankful for that. The other thing is, the most people I know who are on the spectrum somewhere do have some sort of a draw. It's going to sound strange, but a draw to like little animals and little vulnerable things. Like we have a connection to animals. We care about little things, little vulnerable people on the margins. And so I definitely think that has brought me into cure. I mean, these the kids that come into the hospitals are not only poverty stricken, they're considered a curse. Like, so their own families often turn against them. So the neighborhood can't even know they exist. Sometimes they're hidden in the house forever. They don't get out. No one has ever smiled at them. They don't, they don't, they're baffled why they're suddenly being treated with love and compassion when they come through the cure hospital door. Like they've never, they've only been treated as animals. So I do think a lot of us on the spectrum have this little, thing that's for the underdog even more so than usual yeah and uh it has shaped how i go about doing stuff i think it's apparent yeah i mean um what are some misconceptions that we have about people on the autism spectrum well uh, for me i one thing and i know a lot of people on the spectrum run into this sometimes people think you can't be on it you're too verbal or something and i am verbal by nature i'm a words guy now but Sometimes, sometimes that's your superpower, right? Like a lot of people have some sort of a deep interest area. So I'm really interested in etymology. I'm really interested in the usage of words. I'm interested in how language is developed. So my son is the same way. He's firmly on the spectrum. Well, he just got his degrees in linguistics and Russian literature from Berkeley. And he was the top student in his department at Berkeley. And he's on the spectrum, but he can speak Russian fluently. He can speak old Norse. He can speak Attic Greek. He can, you know, and it was Latin. For me, my thing can be, it's not just baseball statistics. Now I can, a lot of it's just words. So when people encounter somebody who's fairly verbal, they can think, well, this guy can't be on the spectrum. Well, I can and am firmly. You could ask my wife and my mom. The other thing is we're all a little bit different in our different ways. The problem is, that it unites us is social stuff. Like, and I've had to learn how to be social. I've had to learn looking at people in the eyes. I've had to learn how to small talk a little bit and not just dive into the meaning of life in every conversation. So I think that is a misconception too, is that if you, if you have learned to make eye contact and then you're verbal, like, well, you can't be on the spectrum. Like, well, this is me exhausting myself, honestly, to try to be human in a way that will put people at ease. And I hope that that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so interesting because those are like, it helps us understand, you know, friends and family and loved ones who, who have Asperger's who are on the spectrum. Okay. So I want to talk about your book because, um, or your, your books, but your latest book is the truth about us. The very good news about how very bad we are. I I like this book for a couple of reasons. One, you know, like it's self-help, but it's turning self-help on its head in a sense, you know? So 
what was moving inside of you that motivated you to write this? Well, really, I, I distilled, I, I read a book that's a lot better than mine, actually, called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, mm, who's in- Great book. Self, self, oh, it is. It's so good. So he's a self-described atheist that he's at NYU. And he just says we're self-righteous to the core. Humans are self-righteous to the core, and we don't know it. And everybody thinks they're rational. Everybody thinks they're a good person. And everybody has a justification for everything they do. And he's just astonished by that. And going down the rabbit hole a little bit, reading other books, uh, there's all these cognitive psychologists that are basically concluding that humans are so self-delusional about their own righteousness, it's almost beyond hope. And uh, one of them is Daniel Kahneman, who won a Nobel Prize for his work in cognitive psychology. I just find it fascinating as a Christian. They're affirming the way that Jesus approaches us and saying it would help us with all of these ways that we, we fool ourselves about ourselves. If we would just admit, you know what, we're a lot more messed up than we think we are. And we're often wrong, but we don't want to admit it. They're basically saying humans would be better off if they repented. And I find that fascinating. So just as a Christian, I wanted to kind of compile some of the cognitive biases we deal with or all the different tricks that we use to justify ourselves. And it's, I think it's entertaining to see the human condition in action. Other people don't want to see it because we want to think we're good people. But the upshot from all of this is that Jesus is actually trying to free us by telling us we should repent. Like if we can be done with this idea of always trying to defend how right we are and that we're good people, if we can get rid of that and go, actually, I'm not a good person, um, but God's good. If we can actually go there, we can think more clearly about things. We can have better relationships. We can let things go more easily. We'll be healthier people. I mean, he knows how we're made and he's allowing us to thrive. I just find it fascinating that he's he's way ahead of today's cognitive psychologist because he's saying to a crowd of people, if just one of you will repent, humble yourself and repent, all of heaven will start partying. He's acknowledging how difficult it is for humans to finally say, you know what? I'm wrong and I'm not a good person and I need help and God, this has got to be all about you. Like that's just, that's hard for us to do, but it's very freeing. So that's what I was trying to do in the book, explain that. Well, before we continue our conversation, I want to just encourage you to uh, check out our friends at Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling has generously sponsored this episode of the Way Home Podcast. And one of the reasons I was excited to partner with them is because I believe so much in the value of good biblical counseling. In the last few years, I've really noticed the importance of counseling, both as a pastor who has to care for people at times, as a husband, as a father as a friend. There's just times when all of us need to sit down and talk with someone who is skilled at kind of peeling back through the layers of our lives, both the spiritual and the physical and the places where we need clinical diagnosis and we need a a, a biblical word from God. And sometimes those are, are kind of marbled in together in complex ways that we can't totally understand that someone outside of us can help us do that. I believe this is a really important thing. A lot of times we're afraid to go to counseling. There's a stigma that I don't want to be known as the kind of person who 
would need to get help. And really, we, sh- we shouldn't think that way because all of us uh, are fallen, are broken, have needs that someone else that God uh, gifts in a certain way can help with. What's great about the model of faithful counseling is that it's completely confidential and it's completely online. And so if, if you're like me and the kind of the stigma of getting up and going and talking to someone is, is a little bit too much of getting in your car and going to an office or a church, you can do this from the privacy of your home. You fill out a, an intake process and they match you up with a counselor that's suited to your needs. And if you happen to get a counselor that is just not working for you, you can easily exchange them at no cost. You have access to your counselor through text, through email, and other ways if you have a crisis in between sessions. So I want to encourage you to visit faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome, and you will get a 10% discount off your first month's membership, which is, which is a really fantastic deal. So visit faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome and get a 10% discount off your first membership. I really want to encourage you, uh, if you are listening, feel depressed, you have anxiety, or maybe you have some thorny relational issues in your family or at work or other places, to go seek some help with our friends at faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome. You know, it's interesting when you talk about this, because I I see this, social media exacerbates this, because I wrote about this a little bit in, in my book, but there's perverse incentive on social media to show how good we are. Right. Yes. And I'm, I'm anti-social media. I use Twitter all the time. I think it's actually been great to elevate voices that haven't been heard and to, for all sorts of things. I don't think I know who Brent Hansen is without social media. Mm-hmm. That being mm-hmm. said, there's this perverse incentive, right, to show how good we are. I, I see this particularly with activism, right? Like, and, and I'm passionate about a, a set of issues that I'll, I'll speak publicly about. But the, the danger is that we're not actually doing activism, but we're saying, I want all of you to know that I'm with the good people over and against these bad people. Don't, I mean, don't you think social media kind of just is rocket fuel to this self-righteousness? It totally is. I mean, it's, it's virtue signaling on steroids and there's several problems with it that that, that creates. But the one thing is as soon as I take us, it's good to take public positions on some things. There's no doubt about it. But if I'm, taking a position, I have to understand the power of my own words on myself. And this is one of the things I talked about in the book was just like, as soon as you take a position and you, and you point it out in public, you will double down, triple down, quadruple down, regardless of the evidence at that point. So there's a fascinating experience and it's a little bit confusing. Hopefully I won't, I won't tell it in a way it's too confusing, but they had a group of people in a room, big group of people, and they had a bag of checkers, like black and red checkers in a bag. And they said, okay, 70%, I'm trying to remember this exactly, but they're like, 70% of the checkers in this bag are one color, red or black. We want you to guess which one before we even start taking checkers out one at a time. So they would take checkers out. Now they had half the people write down in private, so no one else would see it, their guess. So they'd write black or red. And other people would say out loud what they thought, black or red. They'd take it out one at a time, each checker, so say it's black, well, then they said, now you can change your view if you want. After three or four or five, they start to see. 
the people who were writing it down in, in private will change pretty easily. Like, oh, I can update what I thought. I said red, but now there's four black in a row. I think the people who stated things out loud would not back down. So you might have said red, and the next five, six are black. And you're just like, no, it's red. And they say it's because when you take a public state, you can't even think clearly. It takes a mountain of evidence before you will back off. So that's why I feel like every Facebook comment thread with arguments, like you can you can blow somebody away with logic and evidence and links. It doesn't matter. They're not going to go, oh, uh, you're right. And that's it's dangerous to see people just jump in without really knowing stuff, because then at that point, like you've you're so cognitively biased towards what you've already done to defend yourself. You're not going to be able to even hear the issue anymore. So that's, that's just one of the problems with us and our virtue signaling, but it's, it's really amazing. Yeah. And um, you know, it's your book. When I read the title, it's a version of what, what I think I hear Keller say, Tim Keller say, you know, yeah. you're the, what does he say? The bad news is you're worse than you think you are. Yeah. The good news you love more than right. You something ever, like that. Ever about, and yeah. I mean, this is just essentially, the doctrine of total depravity and this idea that we're all corrupted by sin. We all have our shortcomings. And and I love that because you, you kind of poke holes in the idea that I think is popular in our age that we all get up every day, look in the mirror and we see brave and courageous. You know, we, we fashion ourselves as, you know, Martin Luther at the diet of worms or William Wilberforce or you know, Dietrich yeah. Bonhoeffer in every engagement. So when I'm, arguing with someone on Facebook, I'm standing up for truth and righteousness and all that is holy. When really, it's probably not. Yeah, that's just it. Realizing too, the other, this isn't relativism, but realize the person you're dealing with just for your own life, like understanding where people are coming from, they think they're Rocky Balboa too. (laughs) So it's, they're they're going up against Dietrich, guy who thinks he's Dietrich Bonhoeffer and they're, you know, Mm -hmm. Rocky combined with, you know, you know, Rosa Parks, everybody, everybody is like this. They're the, in their own minds, we're all in this battle for good. So I noticed this walking around yesterday. There are multiple signs in my neighborhood, and maybe you've seen these too. They're just like virtue signal signs. And, you know, like so in this household, we believe, and it has this whole litany of it's catchphrases. And Keller said this a while ago, and I believe it, that there really is no relativism. People do believe in absolute truth. Yeah, nobody, but nobody's actually a relative. Right, That's and correct. those signs—it's—it's it's interesting to me. Those signs are creeds. Right. I mean, they're, it's, they're, they're, it's like right. they're creed. Me putting in right. my on the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. What I like about what you're doing is, you know, there's a theme in your work too, Brant, of understanding our our weakness and our fallenness as humans which I think is so freeing and it frees us to be who we really are instead of who we're trying to project ourselves to be. Right. I hope so. I think that's, I hope that helps. I hope that's freeing and then allows us to live longer and have peace. Right. It would seem the answer is not self-loathing, but um, understanding that God in Jesus loves the real version of us that might not be Diedrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther, the diet of worms or, you know, uh, Rocky Balboa, but he loves the kind of version of us that we know we really are, right? Instead of the one we project, is is that kind of a message you're trying to, to? Totally, absolutely, and that's something I wrestle with to this day. I think it's again we're fighting this battle, but it, this is why Jesus talked about it all the time: the self righteousness battle. 
the being aware of that, the, you know what's weird about this? Like being aware of this problem that I have and, and backing down from my self-righteousness and realizing I'm always trying to justify whatever I wanted anyway, you know, has helped me be more friendly to my neighbors. Like, and, they, and in turn, they're more open to me and who I am and who, you know, my Christianity or whatever, like, because they sense there's a realness and maybe an at-easeness that finally comes over somebody when they hit rock bottom with themselves and people want to be around you. Whereas if I'm Mr. You know, Mr. Virtue signal sign person, that's a little off putting. Like, yeah. And there's right or left. There's right and left versions of that. It's, it would seem. Oh, totally. Um, I love this too. And I think of when Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, you know, he's not self-loathing. I'm such a horrible person. I'm such a mess, but he's understanding the reality so that he can find his confidence in, in Christ. Right. I mean, cause I, I think yeah. what you're saying is not a kind of beating ourselves up, you know, but just an honest assessment of who we are. Honest assessment. Again, if modern cognitive psychologists are willing to say this about us as a Christian, I should be able to say this about us. Like, and, and this explains so much of what Jesus is saying to us. Like, you are not good. Do you understand that? And I've only come, he says, I've only come for the sick, knowing full well that everybody is sick. But there's some people like, you guys think you're healthy? I'm not here for you. You know, it's, and you have that. So we have that option to fool ourselves. Um, I think life is too short. I think we inhabit reality and uh, we can see how we can fool ourselves so easily. And uh, it's a much lighter burden to carry and allow God to just love us as we are and, and go from there. Uh, when I think about um, this idea of the righteous mind that we all feel like we're on the right side of, of everything, particularly as we project ourselves, you, you are offering a brand of civility that, you know, I've tried to talk about civility a lot, like have deep opinions and have deep convictions and speak out, but also see the other, the other side or whoever you're arguing with as a human being not very popular right now. You know, when it's, it's interesting yeah. to me, Brent, when I, I've been talking about civility for about 10 years, I'm a conservative. I vote conservatively. When I talked about civility uh, between 2008 and 2016, it was conservatives, my fellow conservatives who were like, saw me as a squish because I just said, Hey, let's stand up for things, but let's be civil about it. When I talked about civility from 2016 till now, all my all conservatives agree with me, but it's mm. progressives who are mad at me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're complicit. Uh, silence is violence, and all that. So mm -hmm. it's tough. It's tough championing civility right now. So nevertheless, you persist. <laughs> yeah, nevertheless, uh, we persist, and I don't have any other choice. I, I'm, I'm struck by how Jesus lets people walk away from him too. I'm like you, I have deep convictions about things, but I have to be willing to let people disagree with me, even to the point of, well, what if this, what if they hurt you? Like, well, I'm, I'm, we're not there yet, but I'm a Jesus person. So I'm not here to make sure everybody is corrected. I don't, maybe that's not a good way to put it. But all I can say is I totally understand. I get the same reaction from people who are like, I can't believe, I'll just be honest with you. I got an email recently. It's like, I just cannot believe that you didn't, that you haven't used your platform to call out Trump. 
And so you're complicit in racism and all this other stuff. Like the truth is I'm apolitical on the air completely by design, Mm -hmm. but for some people, politics is is so much their idol. Uh, It is, it is so taken over all meaning in life that not relating any given topic back to politics will enrage people. But I, you know, yeah, I can't control that. Well, and we right? need spaces. We need spaces in American life that are politics free. We need spaces where we can find common ground. We need not all of our lives to be inhabited by politics. Politics is useful and important for human flourishing. But I think one of the things COVID, COVID has exposed is that when we take away some of these common gatherings and common spaces where people from all perspectives gather, it really is bad for our civic life. So we need radio shows that are apolitical, that are an escape from that. That's what I've been saying. It's it's not, I even, I even like, it is important. This is important, but the reason you're going to hear it here is you can hear it everywhere else, A, and B, is there anybody that's going to talk about this other kingdom that's actually going to outlast this one? Is anybody interested in that one? Because that's what we're going to talk about. And it's not escapism. It's the reality of the fact that this is, Jesus keeps pointing to it. And the stuff he was dealing with at the time was every bit as as divisive. There's not a single issue we're dealing with now, maybe nuclear proliferation or something, but like they had infanticide, they had racism, they had people, you know, people occupying other people, or they had rich and poor. There's not, there's not a new issue. There's sexism, like, and Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom of God. Can I do that? Yeah. Yeah. So the, here's the other thing about a space. When you say a space, people need spaces in their heads that are politics free or otherwise. I swear people can't look at a sunset without having a debate in their head somehow. Maybe they'll be like, that's beautiful. But other people will say that the climate's being destroyed. Therefore, you know, you know, those like we, people need peace. And as somebody who's a Jesus person, he gave us as a specific gift to his disciples. He said, I don't give as the world gives. I'm going to give you my peace. Mm-hmm. So if I'm absorbing news constantly and politics constantly. I'm basically saying, thanks for the offer of peace. I, I, I like news better. Like, or I like the, I like the current events of the day that get me upset at my neighbor for the way that like, I can't, there's gotta be a space in your head where you're actually enjoying your life with God where there's some peace and wouldn't it be awesome if there were some people of peace who inhabited America that were known for being people of peace. So yeah, I have all these convictions, but I also like to be known as a person ultimately who's not nervous, who's not angry, who's not uh, uh, overwhelmed with anxiety like everybody else and actually has this thing called peace. And I'm sorry about the soliloquy, but you got me started. I love it. Well, this is this is really good, and I want to encourage folks to listen to Brand Hansen on the radio or, or his podcast, uh, Brand and Sherry Oddcast. But mo- most importantly, get uh, his great new book. It's called The Truth About Us, and uh, we will have links in the show notes. But Brand Hansen, thanks for joining us here on the way home. My pleasure, man. Thanks for your podcast too. I enjoy it. Thank you for listening to this edition of the way home podcast with daniel darling for more information you can visit danieldarling.com 
If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters. Broadcasters.